You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hi everyone, my name is Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack Curling Podcast. On this week's episode, we wrap up the 2023 Briar with an interview with two members of the championship winning team. And we also interview a curler who announced his retirement just before the start of play in London. Our final guest this week will be a familiar contributor who joined us to preview the 2023 Women's Worlds starting this weekend in Sweden. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me this week. Once again, my name is Frank Rock. My guests this week are EJ Harnden and Jeff Walker of Team Gushu, who spoke to me separately just a couple of days after winning the 2023 Briar in London. I'm also joined by Colin Hodgson, who announced his retirement from men's play just before the start of the Briar. And finally this week, I am joined by one of our regular contributors, Olympian Hans Fraunlob, who previews the 2023 Women's Worlds taking place next week in Sweden. For those of you that are here to listen to Hans' preview, you can jump ahead to minute 59 of this podcast for my conversation with Hans. For everyone else, I think you'll enjoy my conversations with each of this week's four guests, starting with EJ Harnden, who won a second career briar in London in his first year as the second for Team Gushu. So, EJ, tell me about winning that second Briar in London. It certainly had to feel good to get over that hump again a decade after your first Briar win. Yeah, I definitely miss that feeling. Uh, <laughs> it's it was been quite some time, as as you mentioned, and you know, you get to the point where you want to obviously experience it again. But after so long, you're like, you know, is it going to happen? Um, and so it was it was pretty special to be able to stand on top of the podium and, and raise that tank or just, you know, over our head um, and, and just, you know, have that winning feeling again at, at the within the, you know, the, the sort of pinnacle of our sports, uh, the, the Tim Hortons Briar. That was that was awesome. I'm really happy I was able to, to experience that at least one more time and hopefully a few more over the next couple of years. <laughs> So I'm curious, AJ, how have you changed as a player over that decade? You obviously could make all the shots back then, but I, but I know players are always trying to tweak things and improve. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm, uh, I mean, too different in terms of like my abilities. Obviously, I still feel like I can, to your point, I feel like I can make every shot that, you know, that's in front of me. And I would say this year there, there was a big change in terms of the, some, some technical tweaks uh, that I was making. Uh, joining uh, this this new team with Team Gushu, um, and so that you know that has taken some time. It's definitely been some growing pains. This was probably <laughs> the the hardest season for me that I've had in quite some time, just from a playing perspective. As I was making those changes, and um, you know, a lot going through my mind so when I was in competition, you know, trying to make shots, and so it 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 took some time to to get there. It's it's still a work in progress, but um, I was able to, to put it together um, for myself and, and for the guys at the Briar, and, and I thought I, I played quite well, especially in in the playoffs. Um, it, it, I, I felt like I was I was getting definitely closer to my potential and, and where I where I'd like to be. Um, so I, I think you know uh, over the next couple of years, you, you'll even see that little bit of evolution in in the sort of technical side of my game, which I I believe, and you know, speaking with Brad and the other guys, we, we believe will only continue to improve the the consistency of of play which is key and 
and now you know seeing it from the inside it's it's no surprise as to why those guys have been so consistent for for such a long period of time but then i think too just experience right and and i've had the the good fortune of of playing in a lot of big games and and um in numerous big events and and so i think i'm able to handle uh, the pressure and, and sort of those those bigger moments better than I did in the past. Maybe it was just on pure adrenaline and, and, and youth. I'm not quite sure, but I felt really, really comfortable out there uh, this time around a lot less nervous than I did that I remember in, in that first prior final, which is obviously natural and to be expected. Um, but I think there's just a maturity. I, I think I have a better control over my emotions um, than I did when I was uh, competing in 2013, you know, versus now and still love to bring that energy and, and that excitement and, and that passion. But I, I just feel like I have a better um, handle on, on ensuring that it, you know, doesn't hinder me or, or my team at times. And so just, I think over time with maturity and, and experience, um, just a little bit of a, uh, a different sort of um, take on the game and, and sort of what I bring um, to the table versus, you know, 2013. So I, I, I think it's more on that maturity side and, and the experience versus anything uh, vastly different than, than when we won in 2013. Just to expand on something you touched on, EJ, it certainly did not look like you found your groove in London until midweek at the Briar. Were you struggling with the ice a little bit or was it mostly about getting some of the rust off? And I'm speaking more about you personally as opposed to the team. I'm, I'm still not there, like, in terms of having the confidence that I like to have um, and that I normally have. And, and that's, again, to be expected when you're making some, some technical changes, especially with someone with myself when you know, I've, I'm in the later part of my career. And um, so it's going to take a little bit of time. So, so in the beginning of the event, it was just uh, – I would have, you know, some, some good ends and a string of good ends. And then, you know, I'd, I'd throw a few bad ones and get a couple zeros. And that's really going to impact your overall percentage. And so just there was just some, you know, some some throws here and there that um, weren't well, obviously what I wanted. And and um, and and, you know, I was struggling a little bit more with 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 that consistency early uh, in the event. Um, and that just, again, comes from the the magnitude of the event and those changes that I was I was making and and not having you know maybe the the confidence and and throwing some of the shots that I normally would have or or do like to have and um, but I was able to kind of work through that and I got to the you know as I got later into the event and especially into the playoffs I was able to do a really good job of just sort of blocking all that out and just really focusing in on making the shots and you know grounding myself on the you know the player that I know I am and that I that I have been and and what I'm capable of of um, you know achieving and so I I I think you know I did a really good job of just starting to sort of go within myself and and remove some of those distractions take some of the you know thought process out of my mind and and just simplify things a little bit in terms of you know getting down to the you know hit the broom and, and throw the right weight um, and sort of forget about everything else and. And so I think, you know, you started to see that within my play um, as the event went on and especially as we started to get into the playoff round because, you know, I look at myself and my percentages and how I played in the first part of the event, you know, usually somewhere in the low 80s where I think the two last round robin games, I was 98, 93, and then into the playoffs, you know, 90, mid to high 80s, 
Um, so that's where I like to sort of live <laughs> uh, and like to, to be is, is in that round, you know, that high 80 to low somewhere in the 90s, uh, each and every game as much as possible. Um, so it was it was really nice to be able to, to get there uh, to, for myself and, and, and for the guys and feel like, you know, I was doing what I wanted to do in order to help uh, this team win. And so I was really proud of myself um, uh, to be able to, to get there and, and then from my perspective, you know, not only do it for myself, but more importantly, do it for the guys and, and feel like I was, you know, um, giving us a good chance to win. As for Team Gushu, uh, EJ, it didn't look like you hit your full stride until the game against Team Botcher. Did you feel like the team perhaps got things into gear during that game? Was that perhaps a turning point, setting yourselves up for the run that you went on for the remainder of the week? I do. I really do. I feel like that's where, you know, things started to, to trend in the direction that we wanted them to. Um, I, I think we started to to put you know complete games together as as a team from from lead to skip and um, I think you know what I think it, the the timing of that game was perfect because um, it, all the things that we had talked about leading up to that in all the games you know previous games things that we thought we were doing well but having good constructive conversation of of the things that we wanted to see uh, improve. And, it, and we were able to sort of put all of that into place or a lot of that into place in, into that botcher game. Um, so it was, it was kind of perfect timing uh, in terms of when we played them. Uh, and then thereafter, I just thought we, we continued to build each and every game and, and then started to put a lot of, of strong team games together. And that was a good conversation that we were always mindful and very much aware of too, right? Is like, hey, look, we're not playing our best. Um, we're not playing to our potential but we're still finding ways to win games. So that's a positive. There's still, you know, lots of good shots being made. So, so, so that's a positive. Um, but, you know, we also don't want to peak opening weekend. We want to peak when it really uh, matters. And, and I thought we, that's, you know, that's what we ended up doing is, is we, we peaked sort of started to peak during that botcher game and then just continued to, to pour it on and get stronger and stronger thereafter, which was, awesome in which you know you want to be able to to do that for an entire event but um you know you also want to make sure that it's there at the at the right time and fortunately for us uh, that's sort of how it worked out this time around i gotta tell you ej i think peaking at the proper time in events is uh, an underappreciated skill that the top teams have that several other teams who are in the lower tiers seem to struggle with and and you got to use some of that right like i've been on the other side of that i mean i've I've been in briars with with our, our um, you know, with Team Jacobs, where we just dominated round robins. Um, and then you get into the playoffs, and it's not that we we played bad, um, but, you know, other teams, they kind of raised their game, and maybe we wouldn't, we didn't have our best. And then, you know, two games later, you're, you're out of the event uh, where you've just gone through, you know, the round robin undefeated and curling nine-plus percent every single game. So, I, you know, I think you just the awareness, right, and, and, and making sure that, again, you're – you know, we weren't being too hard on ourselves, but we were being, you know, critical and 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 making sure we were aware of the things that we wanted to change, but also that we weren't far off. So uh, I thought we did a really good job of just managing, um, you know, how things were going and and having really good constructive and but also positive conversation that I believe also allowed us to get to that point where we where we did peak at at the right time and it allowed us to win. 
In your career, EJ, you've competed in a lot uh, of uh, well-played, tightly contested games, uh, including now the 1-2 game uh, versus Team Dunstone that many people have referred to as one of the best curling games they've seen in years. Do you get a sense of that when you're on the ice, EJ? Do you ever think to yourself, during a game like that, man, both teams are making everything tonight? I did during that game. Like, it was just because I know you, like, you're thinking to yourself, no, I'm not thinking, oh, I can't miss. But I'm just like, you know, say like uh, Colton makes a shot and makes some sort of run back. And now it's like, man, like I got to put this again back in the, you know, in a in a great place. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're in a little bit of trouble here. Or, you know, you got to, you know, now I'm on the sweeping side. It's like, well, we got to put this draw in the perfect spot or whatever it may be. Like it just, it felt like everything needed to be made perfectly. And it was, it was so much fun to be a part of. I love being a part of those games. Um, it's easy to stay engaged in them because <laughs> you know that if, if you're not, you know, things can turn around really quickly. But I remember thinking a few times, like, this is just an unbelievably uh, well-curled game. Um, and it's going to it's going to come down to the last shot and, and hopefully we're on the, on the right side of it. And that's, I remember the conversation that we had going into the 10th end. I had that with Brad and I had it with Jeff Mark was like, let's just, let's make eight here and let's make him make a tough shot and let's see what happens because we battled too hard not to, you know, not to, to give ourselves a, a, at least a shot to win or, or make him make a tough one to win because this, that, that was an incredible game. And I've said that to uh, a few people and, pretty much anyone that I've talked to that, you know, we've had this conversation about that game. That was probably one of the best games I've been a part of in, in quite some time. We actually, Caleb and, and Brad and I, um, I believe it was just the three of us, or I'm not sure if it was all of us, but we did chat about how it was very similar to the trials game that we had against Brad uh, with when I was with Team Jacobs last year, where, you know, it, it was back and forth and no one scored a deuce uh, in that game until Brad scored one in, in nine to go two up. And then we weren't uh, able to get the, the deuce in, in 10 to, to tie. But uh, in terms of how close it was, but not as well curled as that game was. Like that to me felt like there was very few misses and some of the shots that were made were, were just incredible. Um, so that was, that's, that's, that was a fun, fun game to be a part of. It was even more enjoyable <laughs> because we were able to win. That would have been a tough one to lose. Um, and so, like, so much respect uh, for Matt and, and his team, uh, especially Matt, you know, um, having, you know, you know, his last one, unfortunately, not end up where he wanted it and, and losing a game like that and then having to go right back out and compete in, in the semifinal against Team Botcher and then to play well and play great again and win that game. Like, that's that takes some mental toughness. Um, so it was it was cool to see how they were able to bounce back after such a, I would probably say, like a, a tough, devastating loss. Um, and obviously, they're able to focus in on all the, the great things that they did that game to give themselves a, a chance to win and and then go out and, and beat Botcher and then, you know, have a great final. Like, so much respect for those guys. And Matt, you know, he's he's such a – he's still young. I, I look at myself now. I laugh because I guess I'm a veteran now. Um, doesn't feel that way, but uh, – and, and it was, we, we always felt like the young guys for quite some time. But the reality is it's I'm not anymore, but Matt is one of those – young stars in the game and um it was pretty special to watch what he did during that briar uh all the way through 
there was roughly 24 hours in between the one versus two game and the championship game the next night at the Briar in London. I'm sure the rest was appreciated, EJ, but I was wondering if part of you was chomping at the bit to get back on the ice. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm I'm at the point now where I prefer the rest when when it's there. Um, and so I was completely fine and and very much happy with winning that one two game and and not playing until the evening. Um, I will say it. I did definitely had the same those those nerves that I did feel. I remember going back to the trials final um, that when we won, sorry, in 2014, um, or would have been 2013, but you know, the Olympics in 2014 and then going back to the Briar final as well, not as strong, but that's the nice thing about having the ability to, to, to have experiences that you can go back and sort of, you know, um, utilize and, and uh, ground yourself from. So, when I started to feel those sort of nerves, I, I mean, I slept really well, but you know, it was, you know, a decently long day waiting to play. Um, I found I was, I was able to sort of, you know, um, feel them and almost just then be able to let them go uh, easier than I, than I have in the past. And, and again, I think that goes to the experience and, and fortunately being able to, to go through similar experiences in, in the past and, and utilize that. Um, so I, it, it was uh, I, it actually, I, I was, you know, presently surprised uh, because it's been so long since I played in a Briar final. Um, although I played in a trials final, you know, the year before uh, and, and some other big games that how well I was able to manage, you know, how I was feeling and, and some of the emotions. And, and I was in a really, really good spot playing that game. Um, and then leading up to it, uh, the one, two as well. So I'm obviously really grateful and, and happy that we won, but also really happy and grateful that I was able to go through that experience again, because it, it has been a while. Um, but again, just utilizing all the experience in, in different situations or similar s- scenarios that I've been able to experience over the last couple of years to, to help me with that. I'm going to be honest with you, EJ. I'm not sure many people had the Harden brothers providing the more emotional moments of the week in London on their Briar bingo cards. I know you were happy when you won, but was the moment muted a little bit because it came at the expense of your brother's team? It was just different. I I wouldn't say like I was still ecstatic. Um, I was still, you know, so thrilled and um, I was, you know, I felt all the different emotions that I feel like I, I would have felt regardless of who we played, but maybe not to the same degree. Like it was a little bit more subdued, I would say for sure. Um, Just because I didn't love and I didn't like, and I don't, you know, didn't want to be to beat Ryan to, to, to achieve that. Um, But at the same time, the reality is, is unfortunately, you know, that, that is, that did happen and is going to continue to happen. We are on different teams. And so, yeah, I guess it was, a, you know, it was a little bit different. Um, you know, just it's hard, like even now, right? Like, you know, we, it's nice how close we are. We can, we can still talk about it. I've, I've texted with him a little bit and chatted with him a little bit and just, you know, how to see how he's doing and, and how things are going. And I'm sure over the next couple of days, we'll probably get back on the ice at some point and, and throw together. But it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's, I'm super happy and I know he's happy for me, but you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's hard to put into words. It's just one of those things where, um, you know, we've always experienced 
you know, these, these wins and these, these moments uh, together. And, and then this, you know, case in this situation, in this scenario, you know, it was one of us was going to be able to sort of experience it and, and the other isn't and, or was not. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, thinking about it and talking about it right now, it, it probably, and obviously was different than if we had played anyone else. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I know Ryan, uh, is happy for me. I know that, you know, he's glad that I won if, if it wasn't going to be him and that, you know, I was the same, you know, people asked, yeah, we, we, I was super hard, but I, it was the ideal scenario because if I didn't win, then I wanted Ryan to win and there's no one else I, I would have rather have seen, um, win that game now go to represent, you know, Canada at the worlds than, than Ryan and, and his team, if it wasn't going to be myself and, and our team. So, I know he's happy for me and, and that's uh, what makes it, uh, I think a little bit easier. Right. And because of how close we are, it's, I know, I know he can share in, in this with me as well and feel good about it and, you know, have messages, you know, from his wife and his, you know, his um, father-in-law and other family members. And it's just, it's pretty cool. The relationship that, that we have as, as brothers and then as, as really good friends that I think makes it, um, emotional but like you wouldn't want it any other way um, because that just goes to show how much we love one another and, and the relationship that we have and the good news for ryan uh, ej is that he's on a short list of teams likely to win a briar sooner than later yeah exactly and you know what I, you think for both of us this was I, I i know for me like we played each other obviously once in the um in the slam and it was an elimination game it was a tiebreaker and that was that was so so, but like, I don't think you can really prepare yourself for how it's gonna feel, uh, you know, on the stage, right? So playing in a Briar one-two game, um, playing in a Briar final, like I never, I can't, I don't think it was something you can plan for. Like we just we had to go through this, and we you know felt every emotion that we felt, and and I love the fact that you know that's kind of like who we are at the at the core, and people got to see that as you know, we're not scared to sort of show our emotions on either side, right? We're both intense, you know, uh, very passionate players. Um, but, you know, on the other side of it too, you know, we, we show our emotions when, you know, they're on the other side where, you know, you're some tears of, of joy, but also, you know, sadness or, or whatever it may be. And now we've, we've gone through that. So um, to your point, I'm sure we're going to continue to to battle against each other in, in big games over, over these next number of years. And so it was nice in a sense that we were able to, to do this in year one. <laughs> Cause uh, again, to, you know, with that team and the, the talent that they have, I, I know it's not going to be the last time we're going to play a big game against them. So um, I guess, you know, in year one, it was, it was nice to get that over with. And again, you know, with how close we are and, and the support we have for one another, it's it's just so cool that we can, although we're on different teams, we can still, you know, cheer for each other. Still, our, our, our personal relationships don't change whatsoever, and we still want the best for each other and each other's teams. Um, so that, that's pretty cool. Speaking of family, EJ, word out of Sault Ste. Marie was that your beer fridge got raided by a former teammate of yours last week. Were the reports accurate? And if so, did he at least restock the fridge before you got back home? 
You know what? I haven't checked. They were accurate. So again, even with Brad, so Brad and and Ryan and myself, obviously we're all family members. Ryan and I are brothers and Brad is our first cousin, his mom and, and our dad are our brother and sister, but we're, we're literally like best friends. We, we hang out all the time outside of curling. We're talking to each other pretty much like daily in a group chat we have just with the three of us. Um, his, Brad's two uh, kids, uh, his, his son, Kale and his daughter, Camille are, essentially the same age as my daughter and my son. Um, so our families are, are hanging out all the time. And so when it was a little different when Brad and I were away together competing, uh, Shauna, his, his wife and, and their, their two kids and, and my wife, Rochelle and our two kids would always get together and they, you know, what put the game on and, and the kids would, you know, play and, and hang out. And so Brad, that's happened a few times where Brad's actually come over with, with the, his family and, um, you know, and getting the kids together and hanging out. And so that happened yeah, this time around where he, he was here and yeah, he had some, he had a few uh, drinks out of the fridge and even, I guess, one of my uh, Shaw, one of the, the boxes wasn't working in the living room. So he was trying to fix that. <laughs> so yeah, all the reports were accurate, which I thought was hilarious and pretty cool. You know, the fact that, He's here at my house um, watching at that time, Ryan and I compete and yeah, just kind of just, it's, it's so awesome. It just shows the relationship that, that we have and how none of that changes regardless of, of what's happening on the ice. And finally, EJ, the next stop for Team Gushu is the World Championships uh, in Ottawa. I know you were the alternate for Team Gushu last year, but the last time you truly played at a Worlds was in 2013 when you lost a gold medal game. How pumped are you to get to Ottawa, wear that Maple Leaf for the Worlds again, and hopefully bring home your first world title? Yeah, extremely excited. Nothing better in, in sport than to, to represent your country and then to also be able to do that here in Canada. Um, the support that we get as 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 curlers as athletes um across our country is is incredible but the support that this team gets is next level and it's i gotta say it's so much fun to be a part of uh of this i've seen it from the other side um but to 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 now be a part of this team and and really feel the support and love that they get all across the country doesn't matter where we are we seem to be a crowd favorite which is which is pretty cool um, so I can't wait to step on that ice uh, as Team Canada and know that we're going to have a ton of support. It's going to be loud and energetic, um, and it's going to be an absolute blast. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's been quite some time for me that I've been able to to represent Canada at a world championships, um, let alone, you know, an international event. So this is something that I've wanted to achieve, obviously, now for for quite some time, something that I've missed. And when we are getting together with this new team, um, that's what I said to the guys. I said, hey, look, like, I've only won one briar. Not that I, you know, I love that I've won at least one, but I, I want to win at least one more and, and get back to another world championships and hopefully get a gold there because that's, that's a missing sort of on my, on my resume. So hopefully we can do that this time around. My second guest this week plays front end along with EJ Harden for Team Gushu. Jeff Walker is now a five-time Briar champion who joined me from his home base of Edmonton. So, Jeff, uh, we were chatting a couple of days after your team won the Briar in London. Can you put into words what it feels like to now be a five-time Briar champ? Have you gotten used to that idea yet? <laughs> Not really. It's uh, it's crazy. Um, just thinking about it now um you know we lost the final in 2016 to Cooey there in, in ottawa and uh 
if you had asked at that point that I would have had five or sorry, if you'd asked now that I would have had five at that point, I'd be telling you you're crazy to win five in seven years is, is, uh, it's really unbelievable to even think about. Jeff, you've been on team Gushu for over a decade now. And although you always had a good team, you never could get over that hump at the Briar until the 2017 win at home in St. John's. Did it ever get frustrating for you up to that point to being so close, but not being able to get it done at the Briar? Um, yeah, probably on, on Brad's end, um, for myself, I was still pretty young at the time. Um, still trying to learn the, you know, learn the, or to be at the top of the men's game. Like, yeah, we had, we had some success, but we were, you know, there was still, you know, so Stoughton and and Howard and and Martin around and, and Cooley, obviously. So there's still a lot of top teams, um, that were just ahead of us, but we knew, you know, we kept working at it and we were working hard and throwing a lot of rocks and practicing a ton at that point. Um, I think we felt that we would, we would get there one day and, and, uh, you know, we had, I think sort of a breakout when, when Mark was able to join the team back in, uh, 2014. Um, and then it just seems when we, that's when we turned the corner was at that point. In London, Jeff, uh, you started uh, with a tight win over BC, and then you lost your second game of the round robin uh, to Ontario. I know that the Briars always uh, end up being a grind, but considering a one-loss round robin team did not even make it to the pitch playoffs, did your team end up having to bear down earlier than you would have liked to in London, or were you confident that you'd be able to find your groove sooner than later? Yeah, I think that's a little bit what it was. I mean, we'd been off uh, for over a month, really, um, going in. That's the... I guess that's the downfall sometimes when you go as in as Team Canada. There's not a lot of games leading up to the Briar, um, so you, you know you're you're practicing hard and you try to you play ends against uh, yourself and stuff. But it's hard to simulate the games, and I think we we're just a little bit rusty going in. Um, and and you know the ice was a little frosty the first couple uh, days too. They had a lot of rain and and wet snow uh, in London, and I think uh, just we got off to a little bit of a slow start. But uh, you know we figured it was coming around like we were close we just weren't all firing on all cylinders and I know Brad was having a little bit of hard time with his back and and hip the first few days and and uh we knew that as long as we could get by that first few days and, and get Brad feeling better and and everybody start you know getting a little more comfortable with the ice we would we'd be okay and we'd be we'd be there at the end of the week the win over Team Botcher uh, midweek was certainly a big win for you in London, uh, Jeff. Uh, it certainly seems like your team is even more zoned in when you're playing teams like that at a briar. Is it fair to say that you ratchet things up a little more when you see teams like Botcher coming up on your schedule? Yeah, 100%. And at that point, we still knew that, uh, you know, first place was was roughly in our hands. Um, if You know, if we beat Botcher and obviously we got that, that game on them, um, you know, if we could finish around Robin with, with no more losses, we could, we could wrap up first place. So um, yeah, of course. And then obviously playing the former teammate in, our, in ourselves and then also uh, for EJ playing Mark. So, you know, it's obviously, obviously probably a little bit more, more intensity there. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it was a big game. First place was huge. And, and we all, we all knew that you, everybody wanted to finish first in the pool. So, and at that point we seemed like we were starting to turn the corner with our own game at that point. So, Jeff, tell me a little bit about that one-versus-two game against uh, Matt Dunstone and his team uh, that many people are calling one of the better curling games that they've seen in a while. Does it feel that way when you are on the ice and in the thick of the action? Were you able to appreciate just how good the game, the game was while you were still in the thick of it? Yeah, we knew it was obviously uh, a very well-curled game, Matt, and his team played played phenomenal. And they started with Hammer, and we were trying to throw everything at him. Um, 
and we just we weren't getting that that little miss that we were were needing in order to flip the hammer and sort of flip the the game. I know Matt made a real big shot, and I think it was the third end made their the the run back onto his own uh, onto ours for two. Um, even at that point, I was thinking if he made the shot for one to keep hammer, it would be uh, you know it'd be it'd be a great shot. Brad made a really good slash before that to sort of get us out of trouble and look like we we could possibly steal. Um, but yeah, you, you see. Just looking back at it and then hearing the messages and and from people just saying that was one of the best games I've ever watched on TV. It was, uh, and you just think about it afterwards. You're like, yeah, you know, that was a that was a pretty darn good game, and um, really it could have went either way. And you're just sort of waiting, waiting, patient and patient as you can be in a in a ten end game. And uh, you know, finally we got that little miss at the end. We played a great eighth end, didn't didn't miss a shot, and and just got a little bit of a break. And and that that shows you with the new. you know, no tick rule in, in the last end. Things can get a little a little scary fast for other for teams without hammer or with hammer. Just about each one of your Briar wins, uh, Jeff, have come uh, with some external factors uh, making them different. Uh, there was a win at home in uh, St. John's on home ice in front of a home crowd, of course. Then you won in the bubble, and then last year you won three-legged. How will this one stack up when you're sitting with your grandkids uh, years from now and start looking back at your different Briar wins? Yeah, it's... Uh... It was just funny, I guess, just like you said, how this the the start of the week went when we were weren't really firing all cylinders, and we figured we had to really pick up our game in order to be there at the end of the week, and and we did. Um, but as far as feeling any different, I mean, once you're in those playoff games, they all I, I, to me they all feel so similar. You know, there's uh, such intensity and and just the crowd and the atmosphere. Um, were phenomenal, and and obviously we had that we experienced the best in in 2017 at in St. John's and, and obviously winning that one, um, you know, it's sort of, I don't think we'd ever be in a louder, uh, more ruckus environment. And so when we get into those situations, I think we, th- we thrive on it and, and yeah, it's, it, it was great. Um, they all have, they're all special, you know, in, in their own way, there's, there's parts of every briar that I've been to that I remember. And uh, obviously winning with three last year was, was obviously a phenomenal feat and, and something we'll always remember, but this one too, winning, you know, just winning for EJ and, and uh, you know, being a new team, we wanted to, he, he was uh, talking, well, he, he wanted that second briar before he, before he retires. And in order to do it the first year of a quad with him, it was, uh, it was special and it would be something we'll always look back on. Now, speaking of AJ, uh, Jeff, uh, what has the transition been like for you this year after playing so many years at front end with Brett Gallant? Uh, it obviously went okay because you won the Briar, but transitions like that are not always as easy as the good players make it look. Yeah, I mean, EJ's obviously been one of the top front end players in the world for, for years and years, so it was a pretty easy transition. It was just, just little things, you know, how you can communicate together um, down the ice and and uh, sort of who's there's it seems like on every team there's a little bit of uh, sort of that leader on the front end and I know when when Brett was here he was the more vocal one on our team and you know even we though we relay information he was sort of the one that would would pass it on so just uh, sort of learning how that's going to be between the two of us and and how we're gonna you know work together to be to make shots for for the team and, and be the best that we can be um but pretty seamless really um he you know he's such a good player and and you know a great great brusher great shooter um yeah it's been it's been pretty good i mean thinking when you look back thinking it could be 
two or three years before we're really comfortable. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. I think even taking them to worlds last year and having them, um, you know, be around us and, and getting to know them even a little bit more and, and what even it has been a benefit as well. But uh, no, it's been good. It's been a lot of fun. He's, he's a great guy. Um, and we're having a lot of fun uh, on and off the ice. Speaking of worlds, uh, Jeff, uh, your team now gets another kick at the can at uh, becoming world champions for a second time. How eager are you to get to Ottawa and uh, getting down to business? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I think everybody, and I can't speak for everybody, but I think we all, you know, would want to win that world championship. Um, you know, last year was sort of just uh, after going to the Olympics and then winning the Briar. It was just an incredible to be there and i think we just ran into gas even though we played pretty well in 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 vegas and and i feel we should have won probably would have won on on probably better ice conditions with the way the the game started for us we wouldn't blow that lead very often in in that game but i think the ice sort of got into our heads a little bit more than it did to uh, into nicks um but yeah we want to win that we but looking at the field i mean it's it's an incredible field this year so it's it's going to be a Every game, I think, is going to be a tough, tough game. Whereas in the past, I remember in 2017, we were playing phenomenal. Then we were we were the best team in the world at the, that time, and and uh, you know we played great. I don't know if we had many games that even went to the end. I don't I don't remember Brad having to throw many last rocks, if any, other than the final to win. Um, but just in the matter of seven years, how the how the how much better that world field is. So it's only getting tougher and tougher, but. Yeah, to answer your question, we want to we wanna win that. It's always uh, nice to go to the world and come back as the world champion. So any event we play in, we want to win. Um, like I said, it is getting tougher, but uh, I think there's definitely some unfinished business there, and, and we're all looking forward to the challenge. So, Jeff, I know that it's hard to critique a format when you've just won two straight bars under that format, but you're far enough in your career now to have competed under several different formats at the Briar. Are you a fan of the current format? I, I know that many people were concerned at the fact that Team Kui, as an example, only lost one game in the round robin and did not even make it to the page playoffs. Yeah, and that's the problem um, with the format, and and even last year, and, and I guess Kerry's been in the same situation where you go eight and zero in your pool, and and uh, you're playing to try to get into the one two game, um, and both her and well, she'd done it twice, I guess now where she's lost that game and and went to the three four, and I know last year we did the same thing, we went eight and zero, lost her first game, and went and fell to the three and four. Um, now I understand some of the reasons that that you know, and, and a lot of people may not even know why they have to do it. They have to have a certain amount of draws for TV and. And, you know, there's got to be ways for, for them to to show enough draws and, and make the perfect format. Now, I have heard they're going to be making some tweaks next year. It looks like it's going to be the same two pool, but they'll, they're going to change the playoff format around a little bit. Um, I think that'll be good to give a little bit more advantage to the, the top two teams, especially in the pool. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it is hard to complain because both times they've ran this format, we've won. Um, but, yeah, it's not it's not perfect, but it, it's very tough to make a make a perfect format um, in order to get the certain amount of games and, and trying to cut out tiebreakers and or trying to have the least amount of tiebreakers as possible. And, and uh, you know, in order to finish um, with all the playoff games for the weekend and on prime time and and whatnot. So there's a there's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, I haven't heard exactly how it's going to work next year going forward, but um, yeah, I think there's just a, just a little a few little tweaks to be made. Um, but as long as we do a two pool system, it's never going to be absolutely perfect. And um, I think that's going to be here to stay with, with allowing the 18 teams. Um, but I guess we'll see, we'll see when they announce the, the format for next year. 
And finally, Jeff, a lot was made about how your team played a limited schedule this season and how that might be the wave of the future for top teams so that they can be fresher when they get to the Briar. What I think some people underestimate, though, Jeff, is the work that your team puts into practicing above and beyond your limited playing schedule. Can you talk about the importance of those practice sessions and, and how they help set you up for success when you arrive at big events like a Briar? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, our thing, obviously, leading up to the Briar is, is, is slightly different. We throw on an extra camp or two in there but our our philosophy is like yeah we don't play as much but we get together um once a month uh all the time as a team to to train for for four or five days so that's sort of uh, uh our big big thing is is wherever it is i know at the start of the year when we didn't have ice in st john's we went to toronto uh, a couple times and uh, most of the time it's it, it is in st john's everybody will be down in st john's for for four or five days for for a month and do our camp and, and just make sure that we're, we're practicing hard and, and being together. Cause when we were back, when we were all in St. John's, when we had Brett and, and we were all living there, that's when we sort of made that turn that corner and became the best team in the world. And, and we practiced every day together. Um, you know, obviously life gets in the way and it makes it a little bit tougher, tougher to do logistically now, but uh, we just make sure that we have that time um, to make sure we're, we're all together and everybody can see everybody throw it and, 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 you know, sweeping and just everything. It's, it makes a big difference. And then leading up to the briar, we just add an extra, extra session. So I was uh, both myself and, and EJ, you know, we were all together in, in St. John's and twice in February. So we had two, two camps, um, you know, one week before the briar and then the other one early in, in February. And uh, we don't like to obviously play quite as much because obviously it's not only costly, but it, uh, we, you know, we all have families and we don't want to be away uh, as much as some of the other teams. And we've had that luxury with our success over the last, uh, last bunch of years that we don't need to need to chase points anymore. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's nice because we can just, set our schedule early on we don't have to add an event throughout the year and and we can just plan it out and everybody can can get their get their lives in order with the with the young families we have and and work and everything that we do around that so um yeah basically just getting together uh training as much as we can and and uh and then leading up to the event where we feel that we'll be ready my third guest this week is Colin Hodgson, who surprised many people in the curling community when he announced just prior to the briar that this would be his final appearance at the event. Colin is leaving the men's game at the end of this present season to heal his body and to spend more time with his soon-to-be wife and also on his career outside of curling. Colin, I think it's fair to say that many people were surprised when you announced that you would be stepping away from men's play after this season. What were some of the key factors that uh, led you to that decision? Um, yeah, I think a big, a big part of it was, uh, I've been doing this a long time. I've been playing four person curling for over 20 years straight, um, with a pretty heavy schedule. It's been a passion of mine for a long time. And I think there's been a lot of moments in life that I've missed out on, um, with family and friends. And, uh, those, those things are important to me as, you know, as we came out of the pandemic and I started to take a look, more looks in the mirror, um, that was something that, you know, made me a little sad um, at times. And, you know, obviously I'm grateful for all the opportunities I've had over the years, but um, just perspective is an interesting thing. And, and just to see that, uh, just to see it through a different lens, um, you know, it's something I'm, I'm really excited about. And, um, def- I'm definitely not leaving, you know, the sport of curling, but just maybe pr- reprioritizing my time, um, 
I think it, it's been an important decision for, for me personally. So was joining Team Horgan this season uh, your way of giving it one last kick at the can and see if playing men's was something you thought you might be able to do both physically and mentally for another full cycle? Um, no, actually, I was pretty rejuvenated. Uh, you know, when you play, this is not a crack at, at anybody I've ever played with, but when you play with people for a long time, um, you know, sometimes you need change uh, if you spend a lot of time together. And, you know, eight years is is quite a while and the travel was kind of getting to me a bit. Um, so yeah, I was really excited to, I, I wasn't looking at it like a one year thing. I was looking at it like th- through a whole, you know, a whole cycle. And um, I think it just really came down to if I'm being honest with myself or not, what, you know, what I continue to put all that effort in. Um, and, and honestly, I didn't want to waste anyone else's time. If I, if I, if I knew I couldn't, couldn't be as invested as, as the other guys maybe needed to meet me to be, then I didn't think it was fair to them. So um, I think winning provincials helped me make that decision um, that, you know, we accomplished something together uh, that, that this was our goal and, and we did it. And, you know, Darren and I playing in a briar together was, was a huge goal of, of ours. And I'm, I'm satisfied with, with what we did Um do I think we have potential? We, you know, this this team as it was at the Briar has potential to be to be really good moving forward. Absolutely, it was. We were the best version of ourselves at uh, at provincials, and then even more so at the Briar. So, it definitely might look like it was. It's a harder decision to make now, but I, I think it's actually easier because I want what's best for those guys um, as much as I want what's best for myself and my family. I'm wondering, Colin, if making the announcement prior to the start of the Briar allowed you to enjoy the moment a bit more than you would have had the pending announcement been weighing on you throughout the event. Yeah, we, we talked about that um, kind of midweek. Uh, Tanner Tanner mentioned that that was he 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 believed that that was the best decision too, and I'm I'm grateful for that that perspective he had because yeah, going it would have been a, it would have felt like a deep, dark secret. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to carry that burden because it wasn't going to help them either. Um, you know, like if we're all, you know, people are excited and we're doing well and they say, Oh, look forward to your future. You know, it's kind of awkward for everybody who knows. So, um, you know, I did let the guys know they're the first, I let them know prior, much prior to, uh, to the event. And we kind of came up with timing to make that announcement and it wasn't going to be, before you know we we have that send-off in Sudbury because you know that's their home curling club and their family and friends so I didn't want to kind of overshadow what was going on there so yeah it was something we talked about and I thought it was really it was really great that I I had that opportunity to share with so many people and and the stories I I heard for people in their relationship to the sport with their family and their unique um ways of it I kind of felt closer to the fans and that was a really cool way to go out. So to reach the playoffs or the seeding round, if you will, at a briar, a team like yours typically has to upset a team and then hold serve against the teams that you, quote-unquote, should expect to beat. How much energy and confidence did uh, that early win over your former teammate, Reed Carruthers, give your team, especially considering two of your teammates, Jake and Tanner Horgan, were playing in their first ever briar? Yeah, it was a big catalyst to, to the performance of the week. Um, we, you know... I, th- I think you always circle games on the calendar against guys like that, but um, it's fortunate, uh, you know, to, to have a chance to play against really great teams before um, they've been able to settle in. You know, the ice is new to everybody. 
it's it kind of evolves and changes more at the start of the week compared to the end um as you know obviously this time with with all the weather we got so um yeah like our schedule favored us heavily um to be able to play against these great teams early and get off to a good start and then having rest on tuesday and having our day off it was it was a really good schedule that we kind of navigated our way the best way we could through. And we talked about it lots having, you know, having Mike Harris on board and all his experience and, and, you know, his observations over the years from both sides of the glass um, that really helped us get through that. And I would say we acted very much like a mature team, uh, especially for having half the team be essentially Briar rookies. It worked out pretty well in our favor. This was your sixth Briar Colin, and you know what is required to do well in that event. How impressed were you, not only with your teammates Tanner and Jake Horgan, but also other young players such as Tyler Tardy, Jacques Gautier, Matt Manuel, and others who certainly did not look out of place or in over their heads at their first Briar in London? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, think, I think this time around, too, a lot of it has to do with, and it might sound counterintuitive, it might sound counterintuitive but... Um, you know, the, 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 la- the big crowds, the bright lights, the, uh, the television being on you. Um, there also was a lot of, I don't know if armchair curlers will acknowledge this, but there was a lot of really interesting games that maybe you might not have seen in the past. I thought TSN did a good job of, you know, kicking the soccer ball around to different teams. Um, there was a lot of great young talent out there. And I think having the environment the way it was with really loud crowds, it really brings electricity to it and motivates a person and having the cameras on you in my experience makes it easier to play and makes it easier to, to be, you know, really involved in the game. Um, Most people might think that that would be a distraction, but I think it narrows your focus to exactly what's happening in that moment. You, You know, the eyes are on you. So, you know, you have to do what you need to do to, to get the best results. So, um, I think the environment played a huge part in that this year. Um, and a lot of the, the, this age of, you know, uh, we'll call them the youth or the kids coming up are similar in age. So they've been competing against each other for a long time and, you know, curling cyclical. And I think the teams motivate each other. So just like I, I grew up playing juniors with guys like, you know, Brett Gallant or even you know, Alex McFadgen on, on the PEI team. Um, there's so many people who were my age that I played juniors against. And then sometimes there's a bit of a gap. And I think, um, you know, the teams, they, they motivate each other and they, they help each other actually grow and gain experience when you have, you know, Matt Dunstone and Tyler Tardy and Tanner Horgan, you know, these, and Brennan Botcher, um, these guys are all within the same couple of years of juniors or few years. So I'm, I'm not surprised to see it. Um, I think these guys have just arrived. So you beat Carruthers, then you lose your second game to Kevin Cooey, and then you went on a five-game winning streak. Was there a point during that winning streak, uh, Colin, that you started to really believe you might be able to do some damage towards the end of the week? Yeah, actually, it, it, I, I really felt it when when we got the, the really gritty wins, you know, those games that at times you you lose your way, and then it, it puts you back. I've had those games over the over the Briars I've been to, Um and it's heartbreaking. You can't have any of those. So to, to find ways to win games that other teams uh, maybe should beat you sometimes or, or or sometimes you just need to make great shots or, or, or be great second-half teams. And, and that's the thing we were this year pretty consistently. We're very good second-half teams in games. Um, so 
I guess, yeah, the, it wasn't surprising that we were continuing to go on a roll. And even going into the last game, I felt like we had a very good chance um, against a very good team. And we, you know, one, one shot changes the trajectory of these games and it, it happened early. And then we found, we, we still battled right till the end and, and nobody gave up. So I think that was the beautiful part of it is there was no quit in the team. There's a lot of passion and a lot of tenacity and things that didn't always go well, but nobody ever quit, which is pretty cool. So Colin, you've played under different formats at the uh, Briar. And I know that the current format got a lot of, uh, negative attention, if you will, uh, both last year and this year. I'm wondering if you could share your thoughts on the current Briar format. Yeah, I, I think it was just a little overthought or a little over, little over needed <laughs> yeah, massage too much. Like I, I think it's close. One of the things that I, I, I don't disagree with was um, one of the posts, I think, from Oscar Erickson that, you know, Sometimes you have to do things that you don't like uh, as athletes. And the best thing to do is, is, is to play through them and persevere through them and get those wins. Like you, you have to have as many of those sudden death wins as possible. So there's two ways to look at it is that's an opportunity to, to win those games and get more experience before the final of, of an event. Um, or the other is that maybe a higher ranked team has a bad pick or, 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 or or makes one error and they don't make it to the end. So I think it just depends on your perspective. Um, I, I do, it, it is kind of strange to have potential to pe- potentially to have a much better record than other people who go further than you. Um, and also not have the opportunity to play against those teams. So I personally like crossing over and playing, you know, having that championship pool where you play your pool and then you have to go over and play the other side. Um, maybe there's some thought that needs to go into it about, specific games that might need to get dropped from your previous record. Um, but those are all really minute, you know, minutiae. So I think we're kind of close to a pretty great format, but this one needs some work and, and to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Colin, it's no secret by now that you played very well in your final uh, Briar game, curling 100%. Now, I realize you had no way of knowing uh, that the seeding game would be your, your final game out of Briar, uh, but I was wondering if you still perhaps took time to soak in the atmosphere more than you typically do, both before and during that game. No, I don't think I did any, any more than usual. I think throughout the week, that throughout the week, I take take breaks when I could find them. Um, playing a three and a half or four hour long curling game in uh, in a big arena like that, I don't think you can sit there and have full focus on what's going on on the ice. I think that's actually a mistake. You need to find your your reprieve. So. I kind of did that throughout the week. I chatted with fans, um, you know, the officials, you know, people screaming in the crowd. It, it was kind of neat to interact with them. So it wasn't any different. I didn't know if that was going to be the last game. So I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think I, I would play it any different anyways. Um, you still got to do your jobs. And, and, and I enjoyed my jobs out there. I enjoyed trying to make the sweep as, as best as possible. Um, and having some of those celebratory moments with your teammates um, and, you know, having electricity to crowd. Uh, I, I guess one of the surprising moments was when we made that that triple on the last shot. It was kind of teed up a little bit, and our rock, I guess, on the big screen looked like it was rolling out, and then it kind of spun back towards the rings and held on, and the crowd went nuts. And, and Brennan has an open hit to win. He doesn't even need to stick it. So the game is is, is, is iced. It's over. He's, he's, he's not missing that shot. But the crowd's going insane like you just won the game. Like, that was really special. 
it was it was just yeah it was a really cool game and i i wouldn't have played it in any other way um and as much as i do like to peek to the crowd it, it wasn't any more than normal Colin, through all the conversations that you and I have had over the years, one thing that is quickly apparent is that you're a pretty humble guy. That said, it must have been a cool moment for you, the way the crowd gave you a send-off at the end of your final game at the Briar in London. <laughs> yeah, Darren, yeah, Darren's a bugger for doing that. I don't think it, I don't know if it would have went to the level it did without that, you know, without Darren and I having that really, really emotional moment at the end. Like, we played for each other hard. And, and we didn't give up. And I, I think he, he took that personally that that was the last game. And then, you know, he wanted to, to give me a, a send off um, that was special. And, and it was pretty cool. My teammates did. I didn't, you know, I didn't expect that. One of the things I've always wanted to do is, was to salute the crowd on the way out because I appreciate them and, and what they've given me. So um, yeah, to share that, to be able to salute the crowd and, you know, kind of was pretty, pretty special. So I have to ask you, Colin, I know that you're not only a curler, but a student of the sport, and you love the sport tremendously. How impressed are you with Team Goose, who have now won five of the last seven Briars? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that that's one of the most um, one of the most professional, well-organized, uh, you know, well-oiled machines. Um, they've taken the sport very seriously, and they work very hard. And they, they plan things out properly, you know, even their schedule this year um, led them towards this and, and all their experience and how they put their team together and um, all the things that they do around the sport. Um, they've created a pretty, a pretty special program for themselves. And I think yeah, it's, it's one of the best, greatest teams of all time. Absolutely. Um, definitely one of the greatest Canadian teams of all time. And, yeah, it's been special to share the ice with them. Uh, I wouldn't say it's been pleasant because I haven't. Don't think I beat team. I don't think I beat Brad, Brad, Mark, Jeff in six years. So <laughs> they've uh, they've they've owned a lot of the a lot of the Canadian teams and over the years, and uh, it's no surprise why. And finally, Colin, in your announcement, you referred to the fact that you would likely still be playing some mixed doubles with Chelsea Carey, and other people were wondering if you might eventually find your way to the coaching bench, like some of your contemporaries, uh, Reek Brothers and Ryan Fry, among others. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'm very I'm very open to, you know, sharing my knowledge with, with people who, who, who would appreciate it. So, um, yeah, I'm not looking for any, any spe- anything specific um, in the coaching side of things. Um, I'm just looking to, to help people how I can, and that gives me satisfaction. So, um, you know, it might be, it might be in my area. It might be, um, could be in Northern Ontario or Canada or internationally. I, I think that's something, um, I just want to help promote the sport as best I can and, and stay close to it, um, how I can, uh, on the coaching side. Uh, but as, as an athlete, yeah, I, I think I, I, it's no secret that I, I've had major quad issues in my leg and um, playing mixed doubles is one of the, one of the things that really aggravates it um, and antagonizes that injury. So I need to, I need to take the appropriate amount of time and I I don't know what that is, Um, but I'll be putting a lot of time and effort into making sure my body's healed so that, you know, I won't just have a curling career. I'd I'd like to be able to do the things that, you know, like, if we have kids play play with my kids and be able to do that and teach them and uh, and, and just enjoy those moments and so whatever that may be that's what it's going to be and and i 
if I'm if I'm playing, I'm you know I'm playing with my my partner Chelsea and um, you know my best friend, and I wouldn't have it any other way. We'll just figure out what that looks like in whether it's months or the next year or two coming. My final guest this week is Olympian Hans Fraunlaub, one of our regular contributors at From the Hack, who joined me again this season for what is becoming a yearly tradition, previewing the Women's World Curling Championship. It's a special World Championship this year for Hans, as New Zealand will be making its first ever appearance at the Women's Worlds. Hans, the field of the Women's Worlds will consist of 10 of the top 25 teams in the world, not including the reigning European champions from Denmark, who are ranked 33rd after playing a limited schedule this season. There are favorites, of course, but is it fair to say that as many as 11 teams have a chance to be in the mix come playoff time at this year's Women's Worlds in Sweden? Oh, completely agree, Frank. I mean, the, the field is fantastic. And as you said, the depth now in international women's curling is is only getting stronger uh teams there are if i think about madeline dupont's team in denmark you know they're having a, a resurgence they won the european championship uh stefania constantini out of italy you know are playing really really strongly next olympics there so yeah it, it's gone there but the days is there's one or two teams you think okay that's it uh you can go right down the field and it's really strong it should be a great tournament all right, let's start analyzing the field with the three-time defending champs, Team Tiranzoni, representing Switzerland. Now, Team Tiranzoni have had a solid season, Hans, despite entering this new cycle with a new front end. What are you expecting from the champs at the Worlds in Sweden? Well, you hit on it in the last part of the sentence there, Frank. You know, what are they going to do at the Worlds and the World Championships? You know, talk, your favorite spiel? <laughs> so then a Tiranzoni and Lena Pitts, you know, their favorite spiel is the World Championships. That's all they do is they win World Championships. So it almost doesn't matter what happens in the season leading up to it. If they're in the field, they're a threat. And, uh, yeah, you would have to like their chances, certainly, of making the playoffs. And you wouldn't bet against them being in the final Alina Pets five-time world championship winner. It's incredible when you think about the conversations, you know, greatest of all time conversations. Alina's never in that conversation, it seems. And to me, she's one of those players that has been perennially underrated as a player. But yeah, they they are a fantastic team and all they do is win at Worlds. So you'd have to like their chances of being in the thick of this one. From a Canadian perspective, Hans, Team Anderson just won their fourth straight Scotties and will be competing in a third World Championship. Now they've gone from struggling at their first Worlds to winning a bronze the second time around. Aside from winning one or two more games, what do you believe Team Anderson needs to do to take that next step and perhaps work their way to the top of the podium? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it's such a strong team. You don't win four Scotties in a row without being a terrific team. Uh, Canadian teams, and I think it's true of, of uh, many teams, play well domestically, and and when they have to travel internationally to compete, um, some continue that level of performance, and and others struggle with uh, you know different um, uh, you know different everything basically from from the home setting. I'm not saying that that Kerry Anderson's team is in that category, but. Uh, if this tournament was being played in Canada, I'd like their chances better. Uh, this is being played in Sweden. Um, so what's it going to take? Uh, it's going to take, you know, <laughs> the good performance. It's simple as that, really. You're playing a bunch of really strong teams. Not that you're not playing strong teams at the Scotties, but you talked about the depth of the field here at Worlds. It's super strong. And it's a long tournament. So uh, They've got the talent. There's no doubt about it. Um, I would be very surprised if they weren't in the thick of it at the end of the tournament. But 
it's no cakewalk. There are, you know, very few easy games on the road to the playoffs here at the Women's World Championship. So they'll have to be good. And they know that. Uh, they respect the teams that they're facing. And uh, they know that they're going to have to be at their very best to get to the top. Now, you touch on an interesting point there, Hans. Uh, for the longest time, when Canada did not win gold at Worlds, the excuse given by Canadian curling fans and media was that the ice conditions in Europe or in Asia just weren't the same as they are here in Canada. Is it fair to say that we are at a point now where the ice at the World Championship being held in Europe is on par with what players will compete on at a Scotties or a Briar? Oh, completely. Um, the the playing conditions are first rate just about everywhere um, these tournaments are played. I think what it is, it's not just for Canadian teams. I think it's you'd you'd apply this to teams from any country. When you're playing your your competitions at home, um, you've got hometown fans, hometown support. Uh, you're traveling internationally, and all of a sudden, you're not the hometown team anymore. So you don't have that cheer you don't have that support you don't have people slapping you on the back you know now you're the person that's threatening the home team so it's a very different dynamic i think that's way more of a factor than uh, the playing conditions are just the familiarity of uh, playing at home and the enthusiasm that you get from home fans quite often aren't there so uh, when you're traveling you just have to realize that okay we're the visitors <laughs> so if you can play well on the road uh, you're going to do well and if you can't play well on the road you're not so hans this is the first time in almost 20 years that the women's worlds are taking place in sweden and there's no doubt that the home team is one of the best teams in the world they've won just about everything except for a world championship do you like team hasselberg's chances of winning their first world championship in front of a home crowd or might it be easier away from home where there is less pressure and fewer distractions? Yeah, that's that's a very great question. I'm going to be very interested in how Anna Hasselborg and her team go this uh, this week. Um, it's been an interesting year for them. Um, Sarah McManus didn't play at European Championships um, on parental. She's back. And so they've had some team lineup adjustments over the course of the year. Of course, they want to win a world championship at home every uh, player in any competition wants to win at home. They'll be strong, but they've had you know changes this year. Um, you mentioned the hometown pressure. They want to win, of course. The hometown fans in Sweden, of course, will be uh, strongly behind them. Um, you're right. It's going to put a different kind of pressure on it. Pressure is often self-imposed from the top teams, and uh, they'll be competitive, but I'll be very interested to see how they go early in the week and how they build towards the playoffs. They'll be a favorite, but uh, they're in tough and they know it. Um, <laughs> they can look at the field they play against these teams and they know uh, no, uh, you can't take your foot off the accelerator for one second in this tournament. All of a sudden you could be on the outside looking in. Over the past 10 or 15 years, Hans, there's been a clear second tier of teams from Europe who could generate the odd upset at Worlds, but typically did not finish any higher than middle of the pack. As we discussed earlier, though, that seems to be changing now with teams like Denmark, Italy and Germany as examples. Uh, they're at a point now where they have the talent to play their way onto the podium at Worlds. Now, you follow these teams uh, much more closely than I do. Uh, do you think they actually believe in their chances of getting to the podium at Worlds? Or is that still a bit of a mental hurdle that they'll have to overcome before they can work their way onto that podium? Well, I think every team going into the tournament will be thinking about it in two phases. Get to the playoffs and then kind of go from there. Uh, so teams like... Uh, DuPont, um, if you looked at um, 
uh, Kristen Skazlian from, from Norway. You could put them into that conversation. Uh, Stefania Constantini, she's got no, or Italy has no competitive pressure in the sense of thinking about having to qualify Italy into the next Olympics. And so the Italian program benefits from that over the next number of years in terms of their development. They're getting better and better. Uh, so, and you can't forget about Rebecca Morrison from Scotland, and they were um, COVIDed out basically from Prince George, and so this is effectively their first world. Any of those teams, any of those teams would be um, fancying their chances of, of making the playoffs, uh, knowing that they would have to play well to do it, but they all have the talent to do it. The two Asian countries that have qualified for the Worlds this year are Japan, represented by Team Fujisawa, a team that is well-known and among the top teams in the world. The other team from Asia is Korea. They will be represented by Team Ha, which might be a surprise to some casual curling fans, as they are only the third-ranked team from Korea. What are you expecting from the very experienced Japanese team, and also from the young but very talented Korean team in Sweden? Yeah, that's that's very point. And so we'll cover Japan first. Um, uh, Fujisawa, uh, that team is now a, a consistent podium threat. They've medaled at Olympics. Uh, so uh, no surprises there. Everybody will expect that team to be competitive, and I'm sure they will be. And uh, uh, then looking at at Korea, you're right. Uh, ha Sung-yung, um, she's moved up to skip. Really, the change in that team happened. This is really the core of the team uh, that was previously skipped by uh, Kim Min-ji. And uh, Kim left the team. Uh, Soon Young moved up to skip. But uh, Kim Hye-rin, uh, Yang Tae, this is really the core of the very good team that was previously skipped by Kim Min-ji. So this is a team of quality. They uh, were silver medalists at uh, the Pan-Continental Curling Championships. Um, so even though this is a, a step up for Ha skipping, um, she's been a member of this team uh, for some time. It's still a young team, uh, but it's a talented team. So um, they will surprise. Uh, they may not make the playoffs, but they will be a dangerous team and competitive team, I suspect, in Sweden. Now, turning our attention to uh, Team USA, uh, this was a first season together for Skip, Tabitha Peterson, and third Corey Thies. What are you expecting from Tabitha and her team at this point in their progression early in the uh, cycle, Lahans? You know, one thing about Tab Peterson, we mentioned Sylvana Terenzoni and Alina Petz, you know, loving the world championships. And I think I put Tab in the same category. Uh, get her to a world championships at any team that she is on. And uh, she's always in the playoff conversation. So I would expect similar from this team. It's a very, very good team. Um, Tab, we know, um, Corey Thies now um, playing at third. Uh, Becca Hamilton and, uh, you know, Tara Peterson. You know, it's a strong team. And I would expect them to be uh, in the playoff conversation at the World Championships and to uh, and to be very, very competitive. That's, they're, they're solid. And uh, uh, I would expect them to play very well. There are two countries represented in Sweden that are relatively new to the women's worlds, Hans. Uh, let's start with Turkey, who will be making their second appearance at Worlds and who certainly seem to be building a good program, even though they do not seem to play very many events outside of the World Curling Federation events. Yeah, it's very, very, very uh, talented team. You know, Dilsat Yildiz is, is, is a very good player, and her team now... Uh, are now solidly for those aren't familiar about how teams qualify for world championships it's either via the eurozone or via the pan-continental zone uh, 
Turkey now are solidly in the uh, in the Euro A flight. Uh, they went five and four at the European Championships. In fact, uh, the only loss that was suffered by Madeleine Dupont at uh, the European Championships uh, was to Dilsat Yildiz. So uh, they're a team on the rise, and uh, as you say, very unknown. They don't play very much in in North America. Uh, but they are improving, and they will uh, they will surprise some teams. They will win games, and uh, people will be surprised by how talented they are. So, Hans, the team I want to touch on next is close to your heart. Then the, their skip was a guest on my podcast earlier this season. She offers such a tremendous story of resilience. New Zealand will be competing in the Women's Worlds, led by Skip Jess Smith. What are you expecting from your fellow New Zealanders, and what are the main objectives for the team in Sweden? Yeah, well, declaring my biases here, obviously, being a New Zealander myself, um, you know, this is a big, big deal for, for Jess and this team. It's a big deal for New Zealand curling. It's the first time ever and that a New Zealand women's team has qualified to play at the World Championships. So they are trailblazers, and uh, this is important for the future of women's curling in New Zealand. Um, their aspirations, I suspect, would be similar to the aspirations of any first-time competitor to a world championships, particularly if it's the first time your nation's ever been there. Uh, they'll want to compete well, and they'll want to learn, and uh, they'll be looking to be measuring and testing themselves against teams that uh, they know are stronger than them. But what you want to learn, and I guess, in your first world championships is what's the gap between where we are and where we want to be? And so I suspect what they'll take away from this experience, Frank, is coming away with that knowledge that uh, uh, they'll either be pleasantly surprised about how competitive they are or they'll recognize that there's a competitive gulf that they have to climb. But in either case, they'll come away with knowledge that they didn't have going into the event. And Jess Smith, as an individual, uh, you mentioned your interview with her. She's a wonderful um, uh, you know, human interest story just in terms of what she's overcome. But this team has worked really, really hard. Uh, Jess is a great natural shot maker. Um, Holly Thompson, an, another good young player that's um, uh, this is the back end of the team and the veterans, Natalie Thurlow, Thurlow and uh, and Bridget Becker. Um, they're excited. Uh, they're working hard. They've worked really hard and they'll do everything they can to compete well and they'll make friends along the way. You can guarantee that. So how important was the Pancontinental Championships uh, for Team uh, Smith of New Zealand, Hans? Not only because it earned them a spot in the Worlds, but also, even though the field at that event wasn't as deep as it will be at the Worlds, the New Zealand ladies still had the chance to measure themselves up against some very, very good teams there. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point and a lot. And that's one of the reasons that I love the new Pancontinental uh, format is both the Europeans and the pan-continentals now are like mini world championships. So um, you get a great chance to see where you're at. And that experience for sure will have benefited them, will absolutely benefit them as they go into a world championships now, because uh, you've had a similar environment, I suppose, in terms of arena play, quality conditions, strength of field, um, so that will absolutely have helped them. And uh, they know that they have got a tall mountain in front of them. They're not kidding themselves. But, you know, their goal is is to play as well as they possibly can and, and be competitive. 
Hans, about a month ago, Curling Canada made an announcement that certainly made waves in the Canadian curling community when they named David Murdoch as a new director of high performance. I'm wondering if you could share what the reaction to that announcement was like in the international curling community. Well, I suppose the reaction outside of Canada was kind of like a nod of the head saying, yes, there are people outside of Canada that that know the game well and can contribute. And so it really shouldn't matter as much kind of where you're from anymore. It's more what can you do? And, uh, you know, so for after years of Canadian curling fans, perhaps lamenting, you know, Canadian curling coaches working with other programs and making them stronger, you know, now it's the same in reverse. Okay, so now you've got a curler coming from outside of Canada trying to make the Canadian curling program stronger. No issue with with either of those situations, really. It's around programs trying to get stronger and bringing people in that they think are best placed to do that. So um, so the interesting reaction is, for me, I suppose, that, you know, curling is truly a world sport. And uh, it's being played well in a lot of places. <laughs> and so you've got players, administrators, coaches now um, getting stronger and stronger in a lot of different places and, and making the game stronger worldwide. And so I think it's a good thing. And finally, Hans, each year when I have you on the podcast to preview the Women's Worlds, I ask you to identify one team that you believe might make some noise at the event, even though they might not be a favorite. I'm going to ask you that question this year with one caveat. You're not allowed to answer New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if I'm not allowed to say New Zealand, I think the one that could be surprising this week is uh, Stefania Constantini. Uh, I just get the sense that uh, she is an individual and her team um, could do some damage. And so I'll be keeping my eye on, on that team this week for how they perform. But there are so many teams like hers that have got a lot of potential and could go well this week. So it's hard to pick just one. And that does it for this week's episode. A huge thank you to EJ Harden, Jeff Walker, Colin Hodgson, and Hans Fraunlob. Also, don't forget to check out our partners and friends in the Curling Podcast Network. The Two Girls in the Game Podcast, The Rock Logic Podcast, and The Curling Legends Podcast. I'm Frank Rock, and you're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership.